0: Greetings. Welcome to Devotionables, Brief Devotions for Busy People. My name is David, and today we're going to scratch the surface of the beginning of the Gospel of John, often called the prologue. What Gregory Great, the Great once said about Scripture we may equally say about John. It is at the same time, he says, broad and deep, shallow enough here for our lamb to go waiting, but deep enough there for an elephant to swim, end quote. To make the most of our time, in this rich portion of God's Word, I will provide a structure of the passage briefly, and then ask four key questions—who, what, why, and for whom. First, the passage ends like it begins. So you have verses 1 to one and 2 that are much like verse 18. We see the Word and Son, who is eternally God and simultaneously with God, moving inward. In verse 3, we can see what came to be through the Word, namely creation. And in verse 17, we see what comes to be through Jesus, namely the grace and truth that begins the new creation. In verses 4 and 5, the Word has and shares the fullness of divine life. And in verse 16, we see that Jesus shares from His divine fullness grace in place of grace. Moving inward yet still, verses 6 through 8 give us a preview of the Baptists testifying about the light. And verse 15 gives us a preview about the Baptists testifying about Jesus. Moving inward even still, verses 9 and 10 we learn about the incarnation of the light into the world. And in verse 14, John describes this incarnation of the word whose glory is seen. In verses 13 through or sorry, 11 through 13, we find the central thrust of the prologue, where we will, where we find out who will receive God, the Son Incarnate, and, and how one receives Him. So, with that in mind, we've seen the structure. Let's go through the passage, reading it, and asking our four questions. First, we're going to cover the first five verses in verse 15. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not grasped it. Then verse 15, John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, Uh, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. So, our first question is, who is the Gospel of John about? In the first five verses, John reaches back prior to creation in what we could call eternity past. Herman Ritterboss then, when he speaks about this, he compares these verses to a blockbuster movie. He says, quote, "...though the soundtrack of the prologue may be that of Genesis 1, the content is that of the Gospel." End quote. So think about this, if Pastor Craig were to play the Imperial March while Dr. Cook comes up to the podium, he would be characterizing him as Darth Vader, right? In the same way, John the Apostle begins his biography of Jesus by playing the Creator's walkout track from Genesis 1, characterizing the Word as Creator God. Verse 15 then adds to this soundtrack the concept of the coming one, which often in the Old Testament refers to Messiah. Thus, the Word, as we begin John's Gospel, is co-eternal with God and has life in Himself, like we see in verse 4, just like God does, see chapter 5, verse 26. Indeed, the Word is rightly called God, and the Word uh, comes with fulfilling messianic expectations. Therefore, immediately beginning John's Gospel, we are confronted with the doctrine of the Trinity. Now, Arians, like the Jehovah's Witnesses, will try to force the translation A-God here in verse 1, but verse 3 does not allow this. The Word is uncreated because He made everything that is made. And, and for more on translating, if you're curious, find Murray Harris's book called Jesus as God, and then if you're into Greek, go to Dan Wallace's Greek Grammar Beyond the Basics, page 266-69, to 69, and you'll learn more there. For now, let's turn to John 1, 14, and then verses 16 through 18. And now we're going to ask our second question, what does the Word accomplish? First, And the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 16, For from His fullness we have all received grace in place of grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No no one has ever seen God. The only begotten God, who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. So, our second question is, what does this Word accomplish? To answer this, let's make four observations. First, verse 14 teaches us about the Incarnation. That is, the eternally divine Word, who is God the Son, took on flesh. He assumed a human nature. Now, fascinatingly, the only other reference to Jesus' flesh in the Gospel of John comes in chapter 6, and it is clearly connected there to His death, signifying why God took on flesh. Observation number two. The phrase, full of grace and truth, alludes to Exodus 34, when the Lord revealed His glory to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying... Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means exonerate the guilty. In the Gospel of John, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection are a new Sinai. In this line of thinking, we shouldn't miss the fact that John said the Incarnation was when Jesus tabernacled among us, another reference to God's divine presence in the Exodus. Third observation, in verses 16 and 17, John clarifies that it is through Jesus' incarnation that God brought a grace that both fulfills and replaces the grace he gave through Moses. The incarnation of the Word brings about the new covenant. Fourth observation, finally, verse 18 explains that the incarnation of the Word reveals the Father, it makes him known. This was implied in that allusion to Sinai, but now it's explicit. Since the gospel speaks of the cross as Jesus' glorification, my friend likes to suggest that we can think of Calvary as theophany, the cross as the place where God displays the glory of his full character, satisfying both his justice and his love simultaneously. Now, let's go to John 1, 6-10 and ask our third question, why is the coming of the word so important? Verse 6, To answer this, I want to notice three truths. First, in verses 6 to 8, uh, we learn that God commissioned a messenger to prepare the way for the word by testifying about him. This is this is rare. It calls our attention to the word. The purpose of the Baptist testimony is then given. It's the same purpose as the purpose of the gospel, namely that all might believe in Jesus Messiah and by believing have eternal life in him. Second truth, when verse 9 says that the light gives light to everyone, John means that Jesus is both like the sun, the light without which we could not exist, see verse 5 of this chapter, and like a halogen spotlight, the light that exposes every person's deeds, see chapter 3. Third truth. In verse 10, we learn that when the Word became incarnate, quote, the world which was made by him did not know him. In John, the word world most commonly refers to fallen humanity generally, that is, creatures in rebellion against their creator. And chapter 17, verse 25, sheds some light on this for us. Jesus prays, The world does not know you, but I know you, and these whom you have given me know you. See, Jesus distinguishes between the humanity in rebellion against God, the world, and his followers whom God gave to him. Therefore, the word is important because apart from believing in him, there is no way to know God savingly or have eternal life. Verse 5 already told us that, uh, that those in the dark, the world, don't grasp the light. And later in John 3, he's even going to tell us that the people uh, love the darkness rather than the light, which is why they're, they will always reject him unless he intervenes. Let's end our our time together in that central portion in verses 11 to 13. Here we're going to ask our final question. First, the verses. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So our final question is, for whom did John write his gospel? To answer this, I want to make two observations. First, given the cosmic context of the prologue, in verse 11 in specific, I understand it to mean that when the Creator came to His creation, even His Old Covenant people didn't receive Him. In other words, the specific sample of the creation most likely to receive Him did not. Outrageous. Second observation. When we look at verse 12, we learn about the ones who received Jesus. All who receive Jesus believe in him. Jesus grants them to be born of God. What is the relationship between believing in Jesus and Jesus' granting of the new birth? Which comes first, logically? Jesus answers this for us in John 3 when Nicodemus is unable to believe because he has not been born again. This makes sense in light of the world's love affair with darkness. Before we believed, we needed divine intervention, what Paul would call, in Ephesians, a spiritual resurrection. In John 1.12, our author pulled forward the recipients of divine grace to contrast them with those who would not receive the word. Receiving and believing in Jesus, biblically speaking, are the sure results of the new birth. They are the fruit of conversion which testify about the root of conversion." John wrote his gospel for all who will turn to, trust in, and treasure Jesus, who will stop loving the world and love the Lamb of God who has taken away their sin. John wrote to reveal Jesus to you in his glory so that you would keep turning to, trusting in, and treasuring him. If if you have not done this and you're listening, my friend, know that I prayed for you before I started this and that you, I prayed that you would believe in Jesus and by believing you would have life in his name.